I don't know if this has already happened to you, but I just hit one of those moments uh, recently where I realized it's been one year. Like, it's been a year. Like, I knew it was coming because it's nearly my mother-in-law's birthday. And uh, we celebrated that with her in lockdown last year. Uh, my in-laws had retired, come out to see us in KL before having the holiday of a lifetime exploring Southeast Asia and instead spent six months in Central. Uh, so I, I knew it was coming, but then suddenly in my diary, I spotted that it was our friends, Josh and Priscilla's wedding anniversary. And I was like, oh my goodness, like I took their wedding and I realized that was the last public event I went to. That was the last time I interacted with in person with more than 10 people at once a whole year ago. And I think for, for a while, people found it helpful to view uh, all of this as an interruption. <laughs> Expecting broadcast to resume again shortly. But just over a year since the national lockdown and, and just over a year since it was declared a, a global pandemic, I think it's important that we don't view this as an interruption. In fact, I believe what the Lord would say to us today is that this is not an interruption, but preparation. In fact, I'd argue as a, as a follower of Jesus, all times of trial and testing are times of preparation. But this is especially so with this season. And you can see that the areas that he wants to work on to prepare us in, uh, in the account of Jesus's testing in the wilderness. And we're going to look at that together in a moment. Now, you might not have felt it yet, but this passage shows us that whenever we go through these trials, there are these things that God wants to do in us and in our community. There are areas of our lives and areas of our leadership that he wants us to yield to him. And not just because these attitudes are, are, and ways of living that we should let go of because they're bad, but also because that these things are burdens. Burdens that he does not want us to carry and burdens that he went to the cross for so that we could be free. And so our reading that we're going to look at in a moment is, is Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. But just a bit of context. Uh, Jesus here has just been baptized in front of this huge crowd. And then as he comes out of the waters, the, the heavens open, the Holy Spirit rests on him, and God speaks saying, this is my son, I love him, and I'm pleased. And then immediately goes from that to this. Like it, it, it's like at the end of Matthew chapter three is like us going into the new decade. Yay, 2020, the year of clarity, lol. Uh, best year ever. And then chapter four is like a picture of where we find ourselves now. So this is Matthew chapter four, verses one to 11. Then Jesus was led by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. 
Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. Amen. So Jesus goes from the waters to the wilderness, from the crowds to the solitude, from being affirmed to being challenged, and from the Holy Spirit resting on him to the Holy Spirit leading him into the wilderness to be tested. Now, I used to think this was a bit mean. I was like, Holy Spirit, why, why would you lead him into the wilderness? I mean, you, you know what he's about to face. Surely he doesn't need to fast. He needs to rest well, get his energy levels up. Uh, but what we see is that the testing is also a training. It's like in every film that's about destiny or calling. There will always be a time of training before the testing. It's usually done as a, as a montage set to upbeat music, something like the Rocky theme tune. And this is where you see clip after clip of them sweating it out in the gym, lifting heavy objects or climbing up a mountain. And then only after the training comes the testing. That's what the fasting is. That's what the solitude is. It's Jesus training, getting ready for the testing. And really, it's just about making space for God. As we said a few weeks ago, anything that causes God's presence to go from being nice to necessary, from being an option on the table to being the only thing that's able, then that is a blessing for you. And there are seasons when it's a good idea to step back from some of the things in our life and intentionally make more space for him and to be with him. And we see that here. Jesus isn't really alone. He's with the Holy Spirit. It is sort of a picture of what happened at the beginning when it all went wrong. Adam and Eve go into the wilderness and are tested and fail. And now Jesus goes with his helper, the Holy Spirit, into the wilderness to be tempted, but he overcomes. And with each temptation, we see not only how it is an overcoming in this moment, but it is also used as a preparation for Jesus's future calling and for us. It reveals to us something about how Jesus loves and leads us, but also how we are to love and lead others. So first up, the first temptation that is turned for our preparation is this. Then the tempter came to him and said, if you're the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. The first temptation is the temptation to be relevant and importantly, relevant to your own agenda above all else. Now, one of the things you'll notice with the temptations is that it is not the action in of itself that's wrong, but it's the desire behind it. A few chapters on, Jesus does miraculously produce bread, but it's not to feed himself, but 5,000 others. And then in the next chapter, he does it again for a few thousand more. It's not the action, but the motive that is wrong. The devil cannot create. He just warps good things. So he takes right desires, but encourages them in the wrong places. For Jesus in this moment, it's the temptation to make his needs and his desires the most important and foremost thing 
in his life now. But Jesus' response to the devil points to a better way for us to live. He quotes from the book of Deuteronomy in the Old Testament. In fact, he quotes three times from the book of Deuteronomy from memory. Now, side point, if the fate of the world rested on my ability to recite passages from Deuteronomy from memory whilst hungry, we'd all be in big trouble. But Jesus has so fed on the word that he responds with this verse. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, what's fascinating with this is not just what he says, but the context that this verse comes from. Uh, In Deuteronomy, uh, what's surrounding this verse is a promise of how God will give his people a land that is so abundant and so wonderful, so fertile, that even the rocks give life, but that they will have to wait. It is for them, but not yet. The temptation is bread on human terms, to get what you want and maybe even what you need, but on my timeline and not God's. And so the test here for us is, when I'm hungry, will I wait? Will I trust him to provide? Or will I just take what I want and try and force it to become what I actually need? It's a question about who we think our father in heaven really is. Is he a father who, when his children ask for bread, will give him stones? And so the problem is, imagine for a moment, like, like, let's imagine that if Jesus had gone down this route, he could have supplied all our wants, but often our wants are not our needs, or often my wants and your wants, they're not compatible. The theologian Miroslav Volf, who grew up in the former Yugoslavia and and has reflected extensively on the wars and ethnic violence there, wrote this, that when we live by bread alone, someone always goes hungry. And if Jesus had led us in that way, it would be the way that we would have had to lead, constantly trying to be relevant to our own wants and to the wants of all those around us. Instead, Jesus points to the Bible and he says, look, look, instead, this is where you will find the life that you're looking for in every word that comes from the mouth of God. It's why we talk so much about the Bible. It's why we encourage people to try and do the Bible in one year. It's why we're looking at the Bible now, because as you read it, you'll encounter Jesus and you'll receive his life. And the weird thing is, like, it's never been easier, and yet it's never been more contested. Like, it's never been easier to read the Bible. In the past, if you could read, you had to go and get actual scrolls in your arms, whereas now we just scroll with our finger. And it's all available to us on our phones for free, in audio, any language you like. But also through that same device comes the temptation to be constantly plugged in to the news, to the world, to the the feeds of others. Social media feeds don't just feed you information, they also feed off your time and attention. And there's this desire to be relevant, to be 100% plugged into everything that's going on, but that just leads to exhaustion. And Jesus wants to free us from that burden. You don't need to be relevant to everything. You don't need to be relevant to your own desires above all else. Instead, love God and love your neighbor. Focus on what is in your hand and look for his agenda for your life, which we discover in his word. That is where we find the food that satisfies. 
The second temptation that is turned for our preparation is this. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. The second temptation is the temptation to be spectacular. Like when I was a teenager, I uh, went out with some friends and uh, we went climbing trees and uh, I, I was climbing up this tree and I, I kind of got carried away. I quite enjoy climbing trees and, and went a lot higher than I intended. And my friends were watching from below. And so I had this like need to kind of look good, uh, but also uneasy to get down. And so I had these nerves and uh, I stood on this branch that was not as sturdy as I thought and it bent and I went with it and I went all the way down, but it, it, it didn't break and I somehow kept my balance and I was able to just walk off that branch onto a lower one, uh, totally unintentional, uh, total accident, but from below, it looked like I knew what I was doing. It looked pretty spectacular. And my friends made appreciative noises that obviously went to my head. And so I attempted to make the move again. And I stood on a branch whereupon it snapped, I fell onto the ground. I was very quick to jump up and to like pretend to all my friends that I was okay. In fact, this was all part of the plan. And then I went to check my head. And that's when I noticed that my hand was flopped over in a direction that it was not intended or designed to go and had to spend a long time with my wrist in a plaster cast. I'd looked very spectacular right up until the moment that I looked very stupid. Now, what Jesus was tempted with doing here would have been a thousand times more spectacular than, than anything we might try and do. This is probably a 60 meter drop. That's higher than the statue at the Batu Caves, like accelerating towards the ground only to be scooped up at the last minute by a band of angels. It would have been an incredible spectacle. And Jesus would have won his following. He'd have had them eating out of the palm of his hand but the problem is that if that is how Jesus had become our king and leading us by impressing us, then that is what we would need to be to follow him and to lead and love like him. It had made the Christian life one of trying to impress each other, to draw attention to yourself. Instead, the very opposite is true with Jesus. The, the very next thing he does is goes and recruits his team. Jesus' main desire is not to draw attention to himself, but to point the focus at others and then through them draw attention to his Father in heaven. And this is important because it means that Jesus is accessible. It's one of the things that you just see time and time again in Matthew's account of Jesus' life that, that stands out. Jesus is so accessible. People, people can come to him. In fact, six times we're told that individuals come to Jesus, a leper, a teacher, a disciple, a ruler, Judas, and then the devil. Do you know what? If the devil and Judas can come to Jesus, you'd be pretty sure that it's okay for you to approach him. Like, but even more importantly, in Matthew's account, the seventh occasion is not people coming to Jesus, but Jesus coming to them. After his resurrection, he comes to them and gives them his authority to go and do what he did. Again, turning attention away from himself 
towards others so that we all might know his Father in heaven. Jesus loves to meet with us in the normal because that's the you he loves. He loves the now you, the normal you. He wants to be with you in the now and he loves spending time with you. Have you ever wondered why it is that Jesus doesn't just download spiritual truths into our heads, but instead says, read my word? It's because as you read his word, it's time spent with him. It's time when he can speak to you and dialogue with you. It's us time, as I imagine he likes to call it. Jesus doesn't want robots. He doesn't want slaves who have no choice but are forced to worship him. He wants children who freely choose to love him. And what this means for us is we do not have to be spectacular. And that's really countercultural at the moment. It's been said that Descartes' line, I think, therefore I am, has now become, I am seen, therefore I am. And therefore, the more I am seen, the more I am. But again, that's just exhausting. The devil comes and says, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down. If you are the son, he, he goes for his identity. And Jesus says, no need. No need to prove it because God has already said it. And in his word, we see him and hear him say it to us. Look, Jesus sees you, knows you, and you don't have to be spectacular for him to pay attention. Now, we don't want to end up double-guessing every choice in this area, but if you are wondering what your motive is in something, a helpful test, uh, a question to work out if something is needlessly spectacular is to ask, if no one knew about it, would I still want to do it? If no one knew about it, would I still want to do it? And a positive practice to counter the need for attention is to give it to others, to practice being accessible. Like Jesus, be accessible to people. Now, you can't be accessible for everyone. Again, that would be the temptation to be spectacular. But Jesus says, just be available for your neighbor. Be available for them. Be more concerned with your physical neighbors than your digital followers. Uh, and he says, be available to me. Spend time with Jesus in his word. He lifts the burden of being spectacular from us. The final temptation that is turned for our preparation is this. We read, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give to you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And really, this is at the heart of all of the temptations, is the temptation of power, and most importantly, to try and take it without sacrifice, of power without sacrifice. This in some ways looks like the goal for Jesus to become king, right? To win back the world. And the devil is offering it to Jesus without suffering, to be Christ without a cross. This is the temptation to claim a station, a station that might even be rightfully yours, but to take it in the wrong way. And Jesus's response is to say, away, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And this is the key. In all of our struggles, it's simply 
to worship, to point your attention at him, to, to cast your heart towards him. In, in fact, um, as we're walking in here today, we, we, we spotted this quote on a wall uh, by Eugene Peterson. It's amazing. Worship is the strategy by which we interrupt our preoccupation with ourselves and attend to the presence of God. That, it's so key. And, and Jesus has modeled for us uh, another way of worshiping him through the Bible. Each of the temptations, he he replies by quoting scripture, and it reveals something about the Bible. It reveals, firstly, that it is enough, that it is coherent, and that it is authoritative. Jesus loves God with his heart by being satisfied with his word. Jesus loves God with his mind by understanding his word, and he worships with his strength by obeying his word which is what he's slowly been working towards in each of his quotations. Each quotation is is moving slowly backwards through Deuteronomy towards the great prayer of God's people, the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And Jesus hasn't quoted it, but he's lived it. He's shown us it in practice here with how he's used the scriptures to fight these temptations and to push through the trial. Will he be a savior is the question who takes power and lets others pay the price? Or will he be the leader who gives away power and pays the price himself? And in this moment, Jesus is saying, I choose to worship God alone, to choose his ways, to give him my heart, my soul, my strength, because even though it is costly, it is worth it. And we see that because he ends up with more. He ends up with more than even the devil is promising here. At the end of Matthew's gospel, uh, at the end, we see Jesus on another mountain and he says this to his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go, go, you guys go off and do the stuff now. He ends up just not with all of earth's authority, but heaven's authority as well. And it's not taken, but it's given to him. And not through bowing down to the devil, but by take, or taking the easy route, but through suffering in obedience to God's promise and purpose on our behalf. And he calls us to follow him along this way too. This is what it is to forgive. This is what it is to be a peacemaker. This is what it is and costs to love your neighbor as yourself. And in all of this, no matter how hard we can know that this is not an interruption, but this is preparation. Because look, like Jesus must have told his disciples this story. They weren't there. Uh, and so he must have shared it with them. And I think part of the reason he shares it with us is that so that we can know, that we can be sure that, that anything we face will not be wasted, but used to prepare us for what he has called us to do. Because we see that that's what happened for him. This trial was Jesus's preparation to get him ready for our salvation. See, throughout the rest of the account of his life, there are these same three temptations keep coming up in different ways from different angles to be relevant, to be spectacular, to take power. And every time he pushes past them. But probably the most painful testing was that as he hung on the cross, as he hung on the cross for you and for me, humanity joined in with the devil's mocking of him. 
As the devil said, take this food, prove who you are. As they crucified him, the soldiers offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall. But after tasting it, he refused to drink it. And above his head, they placed this charge against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. As the devil had said, throw yourself down, prove you who you say you are. The regular people came by and said, come down from the cross if you are the son of God. And then as the devil offered him an easy way out to save himself, the religious leaders come past and said, he saved others, but he can't save himself. And Jesus holds fast. He resists the temptation. He doesn't avoid the way of the cross. And in the moment as he dies, we see why. Because we read when the centurion and those who were with him guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and everything that happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, surely he was the son of God. Suddenly, there is this great revelation uh, that as he refuses to put himself first, as he refuses to save himself and to take power, it's in that moment that his mission is fulfilled and the people of God have finally become a light to the world. That The first person to, to realize who he truly is is probably the least likely person you'd have imagined, a Roman soldier who had just executed him. Do you know what? It's as we look at the cross that we see how much we're loved. It's as we look at the cross, we see how much he has for us and how much he wants to do through us. But that means we have to follow him there too. That to love God and to love our neighbor will stretch us. It will put us in the position of the cross. But that we can know as we look at Jesus, that as we look at him on the cross, we can know that actually that's where life is and that he truly is who he says he is. That when Jesus is present, wherever there is a death, there is always a resurrection. And that can mean that whatever wilderness we wander in, whatever trials we are tested through, it is not an interruption, but a preparation. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you as we get ready to come to celebrate communion, to remember what you have done for us on the cross. We thank you that in you nothing is wasted and that you are preparing for us the ability to love you and to love our neighbours in new ways. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come, that you bring to mind the things in our lives, that whatever one of those three things that you're focusing on now, Holy Spirit, we open ourselves to you. We offer ourselves to you now. And I had a sense that there, there was somebody that as we were looking at that second temptation, the temptation to throw yourself, uh, to, for Jesus to throw himself off the temple and uh, uh, that the angels would catch him, it, it was sort of a sense that you felt that that's how you've been living your life, just uh, you know, uh, living in a way that it's going to take an absolute miracle uh, for things to work out for you. And just to know that, that he is the Lord who redeems things. He is the God that takes the, the mess uh, that we bring sometimes, and out of that, he can bring restoration. So Holy Spirit, we, we ask that you would uh, speak to us now as we come and celebrate communion. Amen.